Good morning, family. Hey, so what you're looking at up on the screen here is called The Reset. If you were not here last week, uh, we made a great announcement. We're excited about what the Lord is doing here. I want to continue to lean into The Reset, uh, teaching, explaining, laying a, a fresh foundation for us as we go forward. And a big part of that is this handout. So if you got this last week and you brought it back, congratulations. If you got it last week and you didn't, you committed the unpardonable sin. Just kidding. That's a joke. I know some people struggle with fear. I'm just kidding. But if you do not have one of these actively, can I give you one right now? Can you help me pass some of these out? Brothers, sisters, can I get some help here? Thank you, thank you. We want to make sure that everybody gets one. We feel like this is important for where we're going as a fellowship. I will explain what the reset is here shortly. Well, some of you are back from last week. I guess that's a good start. (laughs) The reset, as I shared last week, and I'll lean in this morning. The reset is a strategic shift that we are making at our Father's house. We're in the month of October... We're having a celebration on October 2nd where we're celebrating all that God has done. If you're here and you're visiting this morning, we're four and a half years old into the church plant experience, encounter, whatever you want to call it. It's been a great journey thus far, humbling, terrifying, exciting, humbling again. God has been with us. We felt like the Lord in response to a word of prophecy that was given here publicly in the month of July. We felt like the Lord as a leadership team, We came together. We sought His face. God was saying to us that we were entering into a new season. That there was a new era and that we needed to step into it. And out of obedience to the Lord and the word that was given, which we judged as a word from Him, and that we were required to respond, our response to the new era is the reset, where we will get together on October 2nd. That's the last Sunday leading up. We will celebrate the old wine that God has poured out here. We will give thanks to Him. And then October 9th, the 16th, and the 23rd, we are not going to meet here corporately. We will get back together here on Sunday, October 30th. The number one question that I received, and I know last week was a stunner for a lot of you. Trust me, the guesses about what the important announcement was were hilarious. You were all way wrong. God is doing something tremendous here, but it is going to require a stretching I feel this deeply in my heart. Here's what I believe about the reset. I believe that the Lord is using this almost like a connecting flight 
where there are those of us that are on, that we've been on the journey together, and this thing is going to land, and there's going to be an, an onboarding, and there's going to be an exodus, and the Lord is going to use that to take us further into our destiny as a local fellowship. But there's a raising of righteousness and the standard here of the expectation where the kingdom is coming here. The kingdom is in your midst, is what Jesus said. We have traded the kingdom of God for church culture. This is what we talked about last Sunday, and we're going to lean into this again some more. We've traded what God wants to do in His body for something that suits our liking and our desires, and we've paid a great price for it. It's called lukewarmness. It's called boredom. Did you know that boredom is a massive problem in the church today? So what has the church's response been to bored people? Entertainment. It's quiet in here. There's a strategic shift that's happening for this body and for this group of people. Where God is raising the standard. He's turning up the heat. He is calling us into maturity. I want to tell you with love in my heart, it's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to grow up in God. When I read the scriptures, something that stands out to me about the ministry of Jesus as something that he categorically rejects and does not like, they're called excuses. And as American Christians, we have perfected our excuses. We have excuses for our excuses as to why we can't follow the Lord and do it His way, or maybe I'll do it later. And God is eradicating that thinking from our midst, and He's starting with us in our own hearts. Listen, if you hear the reset through a lens and a heart of pride, it becomes a self-righteous thing where everybody out there, they're doing it all wrong and we're going to do it the right way. If we hear it through a heart of humility, which is what God blesses and is after, then we look at our own hearts and we look in the mirror and we examine our own lives, our own marriages, our own family, and our own involvement here in this body, and we get right before God, and we get honest with Him, and we call things as they are so that true repentance can take place. That's what the Father is after for our Father's house. If you remember almost two years ago, the Lord spoke to me and said, our Father's house must not be an orphanage. This is a place where sons and daughters come together in the love of God and we grow up in Christ and we fulfill our eternal God-given destiny. There's kingdom work that God wants for you and I to fulfill and accomplish, but we will never obtain it so long as church culture has a stranglehold on our minds. So when you look at that handout, which I will get into some today and increasingly more in the weeks and months ahead, when you look at that, I'm drawing a distinction. Somebody asked, where did you get this from? I said, I hope it was the Lord. <laughs> They're like, where did this come from? I'm like, I, I wrote that. Is that what you mean? Yes. And the number one question that we got 
from most of you, we asked you, hey, we know this is a big announcement. We understand it's a big shift. We get that some feathers are ruffled, all this stuff. We were going to walk through it together as a family. The number one question that we received was, so what do you want us to do? Like, hold on, we're not, we're not going to be here on the 9th, the 16th, the 23rd. What, what do you want us to do? Here's what we want you to do. We want you to be a Christian. All right, I'll try this side. We want you to be a Christian. We want you to hear God for yourself. We want to rip the feeding tube off of this place and cause you to grow up where you mature and you have your own walk with Jesus. So you can steward this time however you want to. However the Holy Spirit leads you, we want you to hear God and then obey. So it's going to look different for every individual and every family. We were careful not to say, hey, here's ten things you can do because it would defeat the purpose of what the Father is trying to shift in this place. Where we get equipped, we get activated, and we get busy about fulfilling what God is requiring of us. See, but church culture teaches you to consume. Let's put up these seven points. We gave seven reasons last Sunday, and I want to review them. Seven reasons why the reset is necessary. I'll run through them quickly. Number one is to repent for the influence of church culture at our Father's house. I told you this starts with me. To receive a new wineskin for the new wine, number two. Number three, to restore the New Testament pattern. How many of you want to be a part of something biblical? If we want to be a part of something biblical, can I tell you, everyone around you that's lukewarm is going to think you're radical. And you've lost your mind, but it's normal before God. It's normal to live your entire life and every minute of every day for Jesus. It's normal to have a hungry passion within you to experience His presence, to know His Word, to go deeper in the things that He's offered us by the Holy Spirit. All of that is normal. But here in this climate, in this region, people look at you like something's wrong with you. And if you listen to them, you'll become deceived when the truth is something is seriously wrong with them. When you're not hungry, you're not healthy. We have created a culture where there's no appetite for God. We want entertainment and we cry out for games and gimmicks. And if you don't entertain me enough, I'll go find a place that will. See, because the church has made the great mistake. She's neglected her call to equip sheep and she's begun to entertain goats. Number four is to reject the deadly poison of consumerism. In the church, you consume. In the kingdom, you contribute. Somebody write it down. In the church, you consume. Church is really all about you. It's about what you can get out of it. Oh, I didn't like this and I didn't like that. And you have people, oh, I didn't like the worship. Well, the worship's not about you. We're worshiping Jesus. It's not about my preferences. It's about obedience to the Lord. See, we've turned the purpose and nature of the church and we've taken the emphasis off of God and we've put it upon ourselves. Most churches today, they function 
And really, it's all about making people feel comfortable. We will go so far to make people comfortable that we kick the Holy Ghost out of his own party. Even places that say, oh, well, we believe in the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, but it's for a back room somewhere because you're going to make people uncomfortable. What if that's the very thing that people need to wake up? Wake up to the eternal reality that now is the time. I told you last week, if you live with a sense of urgency, you will make sleepy people mad. If you live with a level and a standard of conviction in your life about what God requires of you, it makes the lukewarm around you uncomfortable. Hey man, just take it easy. Trust me, the enemy wants you to calm down. I've been in this wrestle for years. Just relax, man. <laughs> Somebody said, you need a vacation. I'm like, you're probably right. But I, well, you know what I want more than a vacation? I want a move of God that changes this region forever. I want a house of the Lord where His presence and His glory can dwell. Where we don't have something that comes and goes. Where we don't have something that starts and dies. Where we have an active community of believers who are seeing the presence and power of God manifest in tangible ways that people are never the same. Where we're measuring success by the fruit of transformation in people's lives. Not how many people came in the door. Church culture says you're a success if you get as many people in the door as possible. The kingdom of God says success is people that come in but then leave and they're never the same. How many people encounter God? We want markings by the Holy Spirit. We want to see baptisms in the Holy Spirit. We want to see salvation and deliverance and miracles. I want to see it in my day. I'm desperate for something that's real and tangible that doesn't look like playing games and clapping and singing songs and then we move on to something better. So the Father puts the reset before us and it's like, Lord... I'm going to be honest with you. I'll share my heart with you. I just said, Father, well, we haven't bowed to money in numbers yet. We might as well not start now. See, the risk even in doing this is being misunderstood. Which, by the way, misunderstanding comes with the crucible called leadership. Because there's what is said and then there's what is heard. And oftentimes people hear what they want to hear rather than what is being said in truth. So I pray for ears to hear this morning that we might partner with and become truly assembled as the house of God for what He's wanting. I feel like we have an opportunity here at our Father's house for something that looks and smells and sounds and acts like the New Testament church. Can I share with you the rallying cry that our Father's house was birthed out of in 2018 was reading the book of Acts and feeling jealous of them and disappointed. Raise your hand if you've read the book of Acts. If you've read the book of Acts, the birth of the church, you have to do two things with the book of Acts. You either have to concoct a theology, which is a false doctrine of demons, that tells you God's not doing this anymore, or you have to wrestle with the text and say, Father, if this is real, if this is available, if this is for today, then why am I seeing so little of it in my own life? 
I see a New Testament church that's on fire with passion and love for Jesus that's transforming the culture around them. Instead, our experience here in the West is we get transformed by the world. We get conformed to the spirit of this age rather than being a holy and a consecrated and a separated people unto God where He can rule and reign in our midst. What's the difference between church culture, kingdom culture? Can I tell you, the dividing line is called discipleship. Which is ultimately a lordship issue. Which is an issue of submission and surrender to God. Dr. Michael Brown stirred my spirit. He wrote this a few days ago. I have to read this to you. He writes... Who changed things from the vibrant spirit empowered by life or death faith of the New Testament to today's spineless home and garden Sunday morning religion? Who changed things from leave everything and follow me to pray this little prayer and you're set for eternity? Who changed things from all who live godly lives in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution to ask Jesus into your heart and enjoy a comfortable life? Who changed things from a fearless proclamation of the truth, whatever the cost or consequences, to a watered-down compromised message that is afraid to offend anyone? By what authority, by whose decree, based on what new revelation have we so blatantly departed from the faith of the apostles who changed things? Who changed things from the New Testament faith where even the disciples couldn't minister without the Holy Spirit's endowment to today's version where whole ministries are run with hardly any evidence of the Holy Spirit's work? As A.W. Tozer once said, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop and everybody would know the difference. Who changed things from a God-centered faith to a man-centered faith? From take up your cross and deny yourself to bypass the cross and empower yourself. Who changed things from holiness being beautiful to holiness being bondage? From the early church being known for its high standards to the contemporary church being known for its scandals? Who changed things from the people of God being a threat to the powers of darkness to the people People of God being active participants in darkness. In the early church, Paul instructed the Corinthians to separate themselves from people who claimed to be believers but were living in outward, unrepentant sin, 1 Corinthians 5. Today, some of those people lead our churches and they preach from our pulpits. Who changed things? Who changed things from a faith that was so focused on the life of Jesus, so infused with the reality of His death and resurrection that no sacrifice was considered too great no act of service considered too extreme but to the contrary suffering for Jesus was considered a privilege to today's convenience store Christianity where we have to sell salvation to the sinner by spicing up the deal with perks and benefits when did Jesus stop being enough 
When did obedience become an option? Who changed things? Does that stir your spirit? Who changed things? Let me tell you. We changed things. With the help of the devil and all the hordes of hell, we changed things. And that level of ownership and personal responsibility and appropriate repentance is the only thing that's going to change things from what we see around us to what Jesus spoke of and manifested in the first century. Oh, but it's going to require great sacrifice. It's going to require real, authentic discipleship where we allow the Lord Jesus to correct our character and to adjust the flaws and the sin within us, to transform us, to make us like Him. The reset is a strategic shift. It's a redirection from the Lord. It's not a change in values. It's not a change in our vision. It's really the reinstatement by the Holy Spirit where God is saying get back to what I originally set you on. Go forward in what I birthed you in. Grow up as a house into what I've destined you to be. I'm grateful for the reset. See the reset has already begun. We don't have to wait till the ninth. The reset has begun to stir in people's hearts. If you call our Father's house home, we're asking that you would seek the Lord and say, God, what does the new wineskin look like for me, for my family, for my marriage, for my children? What are the things that need to shift and change? Because if we adopt this corporately, this place is going to catch fire like we've never seen. The sky, the heavens are only the limit of what God will do with a group of people who are sold out and surrendered, who are looking not just to have a good time together and be a nice little Elks Lodge social club, but to be manifesting power and glory and transforming the world around us. I want to see Hendricks County impacted by the power of the gospel of God. I want to see Avon and Brownsburg and Plainfield and Danville and Indianapolis and the surrounding regions get impacted by a glory bomb. By the power of God manifested where people are experiencing something real. Not just another gimmick. Not just another show. But we have to separate kingdom culture and church culture so that God can expose and then eradicate church culture from our own hearts. So I invite you to look at the list and to begin to wrestle with church culture. Say, Father, show it to me in my own heart that I might repent of it. Maybe God would give you inspiration. I'm sure I didn't get everything that could be on there. But we have to begin to contrast this. And then God is throwing us into a wrestle for truth about, Father, what do you want for me and what do you want for this house? Because if you call this place home, God wants you to be a shareholder here. He wants you to have a sense of ownership and responsibility that what I do with my life and in my private personal time actually matters and influences the body that I'm a part of. But remember, church trains you to attend. The kingdom teaches you how to assemble, how to become a part of something, how to get together and do business with God. 
not become a business without God. Help us, Father. Can I pray right now? Let's just go to the Father. I feel the anointing of the Holy Spirit. I feel like the Lord is just cleaning house. Father God, let repentance touch us right now. Father, I pray, Lord, for a wave of your Holy Spirit and your grace that would lead us to repent thoroughly and deeply. Father, forgive us for offering to you what costs us nothing. Lord, forgive us for our lame excuses. Forgive us, Father, for worshiping you with our lips but ignoring you and defiling ourselves with our lifestyle. Lord, we want to be a holy and a consecrated people unto you. We want to see your word made manifest in In our midst, God, we cry out that you would purify this house, that you would consecrate this house, that you would set us apart as a house where we can say, not my will, but your will be done. Not my kingdom come, but your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Lord, we worship you right now. We thank you, Father, for this holy moment that you are revealing yourself, that you are exposing what needs to change. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would not conceal our transgressions, but that we would confess them and forsake them and find life in you. We want to be true disciples this morning and every single day. We want to be true disciples. We don't want to be converts of a culture full of mixture. We want to come out from the midst of the world and do the things that are pleasing to you, Lord. God, we say together that holiness is beautiful. Holiness is not bondage. Holiness is beautiful. Without holiness, your word says, no one will see the Lord. Oh God, purify us. Fill us with the fear of the Lord. What we're missing, Lord, is fear. We're missing the fear of the Lord so we can play games with sin. Father, not anymore. May today mark a new day in our lives where we never look back. I thank you, Father, that you're stretching us, that you're giving us a new wineskin for the new wine that you're going to pour out, Lord. We say pour it out, God. Pour out the Holy Spirit. That a spirit of prophecy, that your sons and daughters would prophesy, that your old men would dream dreams, that the young men and women would see visions. God, we don't want to play church. We don't want a church culture that you don't recognize. We want a kingdom culture here that you can manifest and demonstrate your power like none of us have ever seen. Lord, we ask you for the more right now. We ask you, God, for the miraculous. We ask you, Lord, for things that can't be explained. We submit ourselves to you. We resist the devil and we thank you that he must flee. In Jesus' name. Amen.
Peter Drucker says, culture eats strategy for breakfast. Culture eats strategy for breakfast. When we talk about culture, we're talking about shared values and beliefs. If we can create and partner with the culture of the kingdom, forget a strategy. This reset is our strategy into kingdom culture. This place should be burning so hot with love for Jesus that anything that is fake or counterfeit is immediately obvious. Where this isn't just a phrase on the wall, a safe place for the hungry, a dangerous place for the lukewarm. This is a reality in our lives. Where the lukewarm gets set on fire for Jesus instead of vomited out of His mouth. But we will never become this place corporately if we're not willing to repent individually and personally. This is not a time to point fingers. This is a time to look in the mirror and get right with God. Are you hearing me this morning? This is not an invitation to judge and criticize and become self-righteous and proud. This is a time to humble ourselves and own everything that we can own before the Lord. Because I know one thing, repentance is a pleasing aroma in the nostrils of God. We've become so fearful of repentance... <laughs> People think it's a hard message. Repentance is grace and mercy in action. Repentance is the mercy of God saying, come home, I call you higher. But we turn up our nose at repentance because the pride within us doesn't really want to change. Remember, I told you, my greatest discovery, maybe of all, that I've had in the last seven years of ministry is that the truth, no matter how lovingly you say it, will always feel like hatred to people that don't really want to change. You can hug them, you can love them, you can cry with them, you can give to them, you can... But when you speak the truth, it's a dividing line because truth by nature is exclusive. You're either sur surrendered to Jesus or you're not. What is the fence? If you're on the fence, oh, what, what about people? Well, you go to hell. That's what happens. The lukewarm get what? Invited to a party and then the Lord says, here, no, they vomit out of the mouth of Jesus. God says, I wish that you were either hot or cold. I wish that you were either totally for me or just get on with your selfish life. But we love the gray. We gravitate towards what is ambiguous and what is vague because sin and orphanhood thrives in that place. This is why people do all kinds of weird games with the Bible where we, you, as soon as you open that door of the, the Word of God, maybe it's not really inspired. Maybe there are errors in it. You know what? A rigid standard of truth is too uncomfortable and inconvenient for many people. So we adopt all these false doctrines that enable us to really, at the end of the day, live our own lives however we want to. Well, I know it's forbidden in the scriptures, and I know Jesus talked about it, but that was a long time ago. No, the Word of God is alive and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. You are either with the Lord or you are against Him. Jesus didn't leave a lot of room, in fact, any room for neutrality. But we want to be like Switzerland. We want to stand and I don't want to join a side. I just want, no, 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 no. 
No, Jesus said, He who is not with me is against me. Are you with the Lord this morning? Are you on board? Father, not my will, but your will be done. What if we could all pray, not my will for the church, but your will be done for your church because we belong to you. Because we don't own this thing, it belongs to you. We're an inheritance for God. He wants to inherit us as His people, as His bride, as a temple for the Spirit, as sons and daughters to the Father. That's what God is after in His church. That's our purpose. But we've settled for lesser lovers. We want to raise the standard of righteousness. Number six, we want to release those who are not truly called to our Father's house. This is an opportunity for a gracious exit. We do ask that if you've been apart and you feel the Lord leading you elsewhere, that you would just communicate with us. That way we know where you are because we love you, we care about you, and we do want God's best for you. And the Lord may lead you out of this place, but we want to bless and release and honor and do things the right way where we can keep relationship intact. Amen? Amen. Number seven, to rest in God's presence and promises. This feels like one great opportunity to just give this whole thing back to God. Here you go. You can have it, Lord. We're just going to rest. And listen, there's a lot of peace because if God has birthed this place, He'll raise this place. But if we've come up with a cool new idea, hey, let's plant a church, which I fear for a lot of people out there, can I tell you? I mean, there's like a church plant starter package in America and it's like here are the five things you need and then they all just go out there and do it and then they fizzle and die and there's a ton of wounding and bondage and hurt and people are getting messed up out there because planting churches is the new and cool thing to do. Why is all their language like exactly the same? It doesn't reflect something biblical it's something cultural what you're seeing is the manifestation you're seeing church culture give birth and say come on in the water's warm lukewarm would you turn to Luke 9 we were in Luke 5 last week talking about the new wine I want to share from Luke 9 And at the leading of the Lord, I want to continue to draw a distinction between kingdom culture and church culture. I want everyone to get it and wrestle through it and understand what I'm talking about. While you turn to Luke 9, we're going to begin in verse 57. But I want to clarify for you the relationship between the real kingdom of God and the real church of God. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. Church isn't necessarily a dirty word, okay? But church culture is the counterfeit to kingdom culture. It's something that has mixture in it that pollutes the real true kingdom of God. Are you with me? But the church and the kingdom, they're interconnected. So the kingdom of God is God's reign on the earth. It's when His name is rightly honored. It's when His desires and His will are being fulfilled. That's the kingdom of God. The church is the vehicle through which God demonstrates His kingdom. So we are the church of God and He wants to bring His kingdom in His church where He rules and He reigns and what Jesus says goes. Does that make sense? 
So I don't want us to think, oh, church is terrible, kingdom's good. We want the kingdom of God in our church, in our assembly, here together as a house, knit together in love where we see power and presence manifest as we follow the pattern of God. I asked you last week, is it possible that we see so little of God's presence and power because we've not built according to the pattern? Because God has laid out what His church is to look like and we've said, wow, that's really inconvenient or archaic. You know what? We've got a new way of doing things. I read a book in Bible college called A New Way to Read the Bible. Can I tell you that screams red flag? A new way. No, 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 no. Nothing is new under the sun, Solomon said. This isn't a new way to do church. What's our vision here? We've said it before. The vision of our Father's house is not the invention of something new. It's the restoration of something old. It's the restoration of what is biblical, what is honorable to God, what appeals to Him and His presence. How do we host you, Jesus? How do we make you comfortable in your church? How do we put down our palm fronds of our pride and shame and fear before you so that you can trample over them on your donkey and rule in our midst? So that you can come into the city, come into Jerusalem, come into the center of my heart and do what only you can do. Somebody say Hosanna. Hosanna Hosanna in the highest. Jesus is coming. And the Lord is soon returning. I had a vision of Jesus mounting up that white horse. He had it saddled. He's getting ready to mount. The Lord is soon coming. Make sure you're right with Him. Make sure you really know Him. Make sure your life is really pleasing to Him because in that moment you won't get a do-over. You won't get a chance. You won't get a take-back. It will be over in the twinkling of an eye. And all your deeds and all your words will stand before Him without excuse, without justification, without blame-shifting for what mommy or daddy or husband or wife did to you or didn't do for you. See, there's a level of personal responsibility that comes with repentance that heals us, but before it heals us, it cuts us. And that's why people don't like it. But the best thing I've learned to do is get cut, get pierced, get corrected. I have been corrected and rebuked and challenged so much in my life, I haven't been able to see straight. I've been fathered and mothered and loved out of my nonsense and immaturity and insecurity and disobedience and excuses. That's what we need. That's real discipleship. Real discipleship is God correcting us and calling us higher. I'm talking about being discipled by the Holy Spirit Himself. Having accountability. Yes, having flesh on flesh, meaning you need somebody with skin on them, you do. But where God can get to the places, the secret places within us, and bring adjustment and correction that heals us. My dad would say you have your public life, your private life, and your secret life. Jesus had no secrets. His private and his public life were the same. Can you say the same? See, the presence of secrets in our heart, the things we hide, the things we conceal, they're the leaven that leavens the whole lump. It's the perversion. 
It's the hidden sin. It's the pornography, the sexual immorality, the abusive language, the fits of rage, the things that we don't want people to know about, but God sees. And when we're willing to own it and say, Jesus, please heal me. I need your help. I want to come out of lukewarmness and into surrender to you. That's where real power takes place. See, we're all guilty, though. We want resurrection life without crucifixion death. We want the benefit and the blessing of what God offers without the obedience and the sacrifice that He requires. We want a quick fix. We want a scratch a lottery ticket moment where everything becomes better. But here's the deal. Church people follow Jesus so that He can make their life better. Kingdom people follow Jesus so that they can make Him famous. Worlds apart. We've preached the gospel in this nation where it's Jesus plus many benefits. Would you follow Jesus if you didn't get any benefits in this side of eternity? If you never got blessed, if there wasn't any favor, if you didn't get the promotion, if all you got was persecution and hardship and heartache, would Jesus really be enough for us? See, looking in the mirror requires you and I to say, Lord, are you really enough for me? Or do I need something else to make me happy? Do I need something else to satisfy the longings of my soul because I'm disconnected from you? See, church culture becomes a place where it's safe to hang out. It's the fellowship of those who are dead. They're not dead to themselves. They're dead to God. And they're alive to their own sinful desires. God is purifying and cleansing. I feel the Lord turning up the heat in this place. It's time for those of us to become not a thermometer, not a reflection of what's around you, but a thermostat where you set the bar and the temperature. Where you've purchased gold refined by fire from Jesus and you know the cost and the sacrifice and if people are going to walk with you or run with you or be around you, you're going to remind them because your life is a reflection, a beautiful fragrance of obedience to the Lord. Who's with me this morning? I believe the church is like a buffet. How many of you like buffets? Glory to God. Lord, we just bless Golden Corral right now. We ask you, Father, that you would lead them to repentance, that they would lower their Sunday buffet prices that have increased by 180% in the last 10 years. I'm like, man, I need a raise. We can't do this anymore. <laughs> Taylor always laughs. She's like, how do you go from dead serious to something? I'm like, I don't know, honey. I'm just being myself, okay? It's just what comes up for me. But the church is like a buffet. This is what we've learned. This is what church should be like. Not. You show up and it's all set up for you. You get your plate. You go through the line. You pick and choose what you like. Oh, that looks good. I don't like that. And this is all for me. I'm going to consume something today. The kingdom of God, the true church of Jesus Christ is like a pitch-in. It's awkward when you show up to a pitch-in empty-handed. Hey, we're all here. We're all going to eat. Who's bringing sides? Who's making the meat? Who's bringing dessert? And you show up like... Uh-oh. Oh, we got to go to the gas station. Let me pick up a bag of donuts here. Whoops, I forgot. Come on, we've all been there. 
Some of you are feeling guilty for summer nights. We love you. Be released. You're forgiven. But we learn that, well, it's a buffet. I can come and pick and choose. It's for me. But if it's a pitch-in, then yeah, I'm going to eat. And there's going to be enjoyment. But really, I'm here to pour out. I'm here to give. I brought something. And we're going to enjoy it together. See, the fear in church culture is, well, I'm not going to get my needs met. I'm not feeling fulfilled. I don't feel connected, etc. All of this is the residue of church culture upon our minds. When the New Testament calls us higher to come and give. See, the church, church culture trains you to sit and receive. That's what they want. We want pew sitters. We want you to come and we want you to be here regularly. We want you to be faithful attenders. Don't forget to tithe and we'll teach you. Oh, another sermon series, church at the movies. We can entertain you with endless ideas to keep you in your seat. Just be quiet. This is church culture. Kingdom culture equips you to receive not, but to go. You will receive, yes, but the heart posture is to give, not receive. Did Jesus say in Acts 20, 35, it's more blessed to give than receive? Did He say that? Why is our church culture all about receiving? Jesus said the blessing is on giving. So we should be givers, not takers. So we show up with a heart to give, to pour out, to pray for someone else. You know why? Because the Word of God says that he who waters others will himself be refreshed. There is a refreshment that comes when you pour out your grace and you come with something to offer to a corporate meeting and the presence of God is there. And when we just show up, basically to breastfeed, I'm here to nurse, I'm here to suckle, I'm here for you to, to you just give me the milk, pastor. Give me, the, give me the word, brother. This is like Moses, oh, go up on the mountain and tell us what God is saying. That was the old covenant, hello. The new covenant is all will know me from the least to the greatest of them. You won't have to say to your neighbor, hey, know the Lord. I want all of you to know me for yourself. I'll be your God. You'll be my people. I'll be merciful to your iniquities. I'll remember your sins no more. This is the heart of God the Father. The new covenant is come and know me for yourself. The church culture says, hey, know God through us. You don't have to have a devotional life. You don't have to read or pray or study. or You don't have to weigh any of this. We'll just feed you. We'll just put it right in front of you. We'll make it easy. It would be like the little breadcrumbs. And you just keep following us. And you go down the hallway and you go, what are we doing now? Huh? We learn. Well, what are we going to do during the reset? We're going to detox from church culture. We're going to get into the kingdom of God. We're going to read and pray and study and know our Bibles. We're going to read good resources. We're going to become equipped to go and to demonstrate the gospel with power. The lack of evangelism in the church is an easy read for church culture. See, if you're a part of church culture, well, we pay you to evangelize. We want you to go and do it for us. See, in the church culture, church culture, they just support missions from afar. Kingdom culture, you become on a mission all the time. See, church culture, what it does, it trains you. And you come and you show up and you try to get something out of a message weekly. 
kingdom culture is you become an ambassador daily. You become the message. Sure, you receive a message, encouragement. We're called to equip the saints, yes. But it's so much more. It's a posture where if you never met again corporately, could your walk with God survive? Not just survive, but thrive in Him. See, this is a blessing when we get together. It's sacred and holy before the Lord. We're commanded not to forsake the assembly as some are in the habit of doing. Listen, people have been trying to skip out on the assembly for 2,000 years at least. This is where God meets us in a special way where we're together and we're worshiping. But when we come and we turn and we make it all about us and we're here to consume a product, we have unknowingly allowed church culture insidiously to influence our minds and we come with an agenda that disagrees with God's desire for His church. That was a mouthful. I'm inviting you into the wrestle this morning. Let's read Luke 9. Jesus and true discipleship. Luke 9, 57. And as they were going along the road, someone said to Him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, I'll follow you wherever. He's saying, it's, What's he saying? This is going to be a rough ride. The American Jesus says, Five star hotel, baby, come on. Jesus, the Son of God, says, I don't have anywhere to sleep, are you sure? Again, what if instead of all the benefits, what if we just got persecuted? Do you realize that the church was birthed in the midst of murder and crucifixion? That they were witnessing friends and family turn on them, sell them out to the Roman government, you name it. They were being chased. They were, it says they were sawn in two. They were persecuted unto death. And here we are like... What's the minimum I can give in my tithe? What's the, minimum, how, what's the minimum amount of time I can serve, I can give? God, how do I actually give you my leftovers? And we put ourselves in danger of lukewarmness. Are you hearing me this morning? Let's keep reading, verse 59. And Jesus said to another, follow me. But he said, permit me first to go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, Allow the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. Is burying your father a bad thing? Jesus commands us to follow immediately and follow wholeheartedly. Follow without excuse. Verse 61, And another also said, we got a lot of people that want to follow Jesus. I will follow you, Lord, but first permit me to say goodbye to those at home. But Jesus said to him, No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. You can put your hand to the plow and look back. You'll fit right in in church culture. If you put your hand to the plow and you refuse to look back and you say, Lord, whatever it costs me, no matter the sacrifice, no matter the consequence, I'm going to live for you totally and completely, then you're experiencing the kingdom of God. Evangelism. Sharing the gospel. The church has actually become 
catered towards unbelievers. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 14. I feel like this is important for us this morning. 1 Corinthians 14, so that you can understand the dramatic shift and where we got off course in this country and in the Western world. 1 Corinthians 14, we're just going to read 20 through 25. I'm not intending to teach through tongues and prophecy. I've done that before. I'm happy to do it again, but now's not the time. Let's just read verse 20 through 25. says, Brothers, do not be children in your thinking, yet in evil be babes, but in your thinking be what? God wants us to grow up. Amen? It's okay if you're two years old and you still go to the bathroom in your diapers. It's not okay when you're 20 years old and you don't know how to take care of yourself, and you don't know how to feed yourself, and you don't know how to walk with God for yourself. The kingdom of God equips you to go and manifest the kingdom everywhere you go. Church culture says, it's okay that you've been coming to church for this long and you still don't read the Bible. Here, we'll do it for you. 11% of Christians in America have read the entire Bible. 11 11%, that's what Barna says. 89% of people in this nation say, I want to follow Jesus, but I don't have time to read the book. So here, you just tell me what to do. You see how we get a subculture? You see how we get something that's not a reflection of God's true heart for us? You get something counterfeit? Verse 21, in the law it is written by men of strange tongues and by the lips of strangers I will speak to this people and even so they will not listen to me, says the Lord. So then tongues are for a sign not to those who believe but to unbelievers. But prophecy is for a sign not to unbelievers but to those who believe. If therefore the whole church, catch the language here, are you ready? If therefore the whole church should what? Assemble together. And all speak in tongues, and an ungifted person or unbelievers enter. Will they not say you're mad? Yes, they will. Y'all are crazy. But if all prophesy, and an unbeliever or an ungifted man enters, he is what? Convicted by all, called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed, and so he'll fall on his face and worship God, declaring what? God is certainly among you. Here's what I want you to notice from this passage. The gathering is for who? The assembly of the saints is for who? It's for believers. We have shifted and turned this. Up. It, oh, it's, it's for unbelievers. That's why the church is a mile wide and an inch deep. Because we can't teach anything that goes anywhere in depth because we might lose you. Rather than discipling people and growing them up, teaching them and challenging them, hey, you know God for yourself. We do the minimum and we keep it shallow and we just preach the gospel basically every Sunday so you have the same group of people getting saved over and over, but they never grow up in God. And and the word says, be mature in your thinking. 
See, the kingdom of God calls you higher because the king wants you to be a functioning participant in his kingdom. But church culture is basically an orphanage and it's a massive nursery where you can complain and grovel and you can, you can get all kinds of worked up and you can divide and you can gossip and you can slander and you can make church about you when it's really for God. Do you feel the distinction this morning? The dividing line has to do with discipleship. I want to ask you, are you a disciple of Jesus? Or are you a church convert? I recognize that some of us, we've never seen the real deal. But are you hungry for it? I'm hungry for more. We're laboring for something that we've not even yet seen. Church people tell you where they go to church and call it evangelism. You get into that awkward moment. And, oh, I go, here's where I go to church. That's not evangelism. That's information. <laughs> See, we have asked the church, hey, do, will you do my job for me? We got a whole department. And the church, we just we tithe here, we go here, we're members. If you want to come with us, they'll help you know God. But we can, we're not really sure. We're still figuring it out. You see the problem. Church people tell you where they go to church. They call it evangelism. Kingdom people demonstrate the love and power of God everywhere they go. Sure, you can invite people, tell them where you go. Hopefully your church is alive and you want them to come. You want them to experience what God is doing there. But the thought that, well, I shared the gospel with you. No, 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 you didn't. You gave them information that may or may not be useless. Share your testimony. Share your story. Share what God has done in your life. There's no one that can argue your story. It's your story. You were there. You saw what God did in your life. Who cares if they don't believe you? It's real before the Lord. And then you know what? You plant those seeds and people have to think about it. I've had friends that came back to me from high school and they said, I never forgot when you said, and I'm like, well, I forgot all about it. But you know why? Because God anointed me to say it and he wouldn't let you let it go. I had a friend, another friend from high school living a life of sin. And he wakes up from a dream where locusts have devoured his house and they've broken in and eaten everything. And at the end of the dream, he said, your face just appears to me in the dream. We hadn't seen each other in 10 years. He said, your face appears to me in the dream. And a voice says, you need to call him. What do you think I told him? <laughs> Oh, brother, that doesn't sound like mercy and grace. No, that is mercy and grace. That's God trying to get through to you. I told him to repent of your sins. Get right with God. Live a life pleasing to Him according to His Word. The Father loves you so much, He's not going to let you go your own way without a fight. 
But if you ignore the whispers of the Lord, He raises the volume of His voice and you do not want God to roar on your life. Better to experience the Lamb of God's tenderness than to get the lion's roar. But He's a faithful Father and He disciplines those whom He loves. He's not an abuser. He's a faithful father. He is tender and tenacious. We've got to learn to love the tension. We've got to learn to embrace that he's a passionate lover and he is a jealous king. He's not jealous of us. He's jealous for us. See, these messages, I can preach them with love in my heart. Why? Because this really isn't about something I want from you. This is something that I believe God wants for us together as a family where we're really truly disciples and we're not church converts. We're not little rugrats who have all the right language and we know all the phrases, but really our life is not bearing fruit. It's rotten before God. Would you stand with me this morning? Father God, we ask this morning again for the new wineskin so that you could pour out the new wine in this place. Father, we pray, Lord, that you would stretch us, that you would humble us, that you would break us. God, we're asking this morning that you would deal with the deep-rooted pride and rebellion in every heart here that resists your reign, that rejects your kingdom, and rejects your lordship in our lives. Lord, we humble ourselves right now, and we want to do church your way. We want to live life your way. We want to know you. We want to experience your love and your mercy and your truth and your righteousness father we want all of you we refuse this morning to pick and choose and to treat you as a buffet lord we want to come and contribute we don't want to just consume lord we want to not just receive but give god i pray for a shift in this house lord make us kingdom people make us those that are surrendered that are humbled father would you remove lord all the fear all the insecurity all of the things that we put before you lord the excuses i thank you god that it's a time where we're pushing it all in the middle and this is an all in moment Lord this is the crossroads that we're standing at so we're asking you Father for the good way this morning that we might walk in it that we might please you that we might be true disciples and Lord that you might know us that we might know you but that you might know us Father that no one here at the end of the road that you would say depart from me You workers of iniquity, I never knew you. Uproot the falsehood. Expose the secrets in our lives, Lord. Turn up the heat, Father. Do it in your love and your grace. Because you love us too much to leave us the way we are. The church says, come as you are. The kingdom says, come as you are, but don't stay as you are. We embrace transformation this morning. We want to be like you, Jesus. We don't want to be like the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.